Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When it comes to business, we all agree on one thing. We all want to succeed. Uh, Typically, we measure success numerically. The more profit we make, the better we're doing. Um, Sure, we'd like to make billions, but the reality is most of us are not going to turn our businesses into Facebook or Apple. Uh, For many people in business, just keeping the doors open and the lights on is succeeding. Uh, My guests on Out to Lunch today take whatever your definition of success is, whether it's uh, making a fortune or just making it till Friday, and help you get there. Amy Adato Freeman is the founder of Amy Freeman Consulting and an adjunct professor of business studies at Tulane University for the past 20 years. Plus, she has been improving business results by teaching business owners and executives to communicate more effectively and with some pretty remarkable results. Amy, you're welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And when we think of communicating, we could, this could be one-on-one, this could be a conference, this could be a big crowd. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes I'll work with somebody, um, for example, a client who was doing a keynote to help him prepare in a way that helps what his ultimate goal was, which was to book more business with that particular client. It was not to get new clients at the conference in Vegas. So we did that. We worked really hard to get him to that People level. People have so many different goals in Vegas. Yeah, so There's that was a... his goal. <laughs> and also to goal? have a great place to take his wife out to dinner. We had to talk about that quite a bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was her birthday. I was in small businesses and helped start up or support 600 of them. Uh, Phyllis, welcome out to lunch. Well, thank you for having me. Now, Phyllis, you've been the, the president of an insurance company. You taught accounting and information systems at Dillard and UNO, and you're a CPA. Uh, the job you're doing with Good Work Network is all of these jobs plus the work of another 10 people. It must be extraordinarily demanding, but I imagine equally rewarding. You're you're taking all kinds of great ideas and showing people who may have very few formal skills how to turn those ideas into businesses. How did you turn this great idea into a business? (laughs) Well, um, you know, I led a very privileged life and so wanted to do something to give back a little bit. Um, And uh, this just seemed like a wonderful idea. Most small businesses struggle in the areas that are my area of expertise, accounting, back office stuff. Um, is that what does most groups in? Yeah, it, it is actually. I mean, marketing is obviously a key component, but um, if you don't, that stuff is necessary. It's not sufficient, but it's absolutely necessary. And so if you don't have that kind of preparation in place, when the opportunity comes along, 
um, sometimes you can't, you can't succeed. So, you know, I want to make sure that they have that capacity in place. And then we also work to connect minority businesses and women-owned businesses that have typically been disenfranchised and not part of the, the economic system, um, trying to uh, get them entrees into the more established business arena. So, so when I think of a minority and women-owned business, I think uh, you're right, they've, they've been out of this, uh, out, of the, out of the big picture, but do they have actually different needs? You know, it depends. I mean, there's there's is wider range of minority and women-owned businesses as there are any kind, and we actually serve all. I'm colorblind, by the way. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you want to know but, that. Uh, you know, we actually serve all from pre-venture folks who are just have an idea to fairly well-established firms that are doing millions of dollars of business a year. And yes, those two different. Um, ends of the spectrum have, have very different needs. Um, and we design our programs to deliver services differently to somebody who's just trying to formulate an idea as opposed to somebody who's trying to get a contract uh, for the airport. You know, so, um, and, and, and we work with, with all of them, but, but they do have different needs. Um, and, and Phyllis, what do you do? Do you fill in? I mean, do you have uh, a staff or something that can get them out of the, the weeds of accounting and back office? Yeah, yeah well, we do. So, so we have a strong accounting staff. Um, my prejudice, obviously. I'm a CPA. We have another CPA. We have two um, other degreed accountants. So we have um, that staff. Um, but we have another talented group of general counselors who um, help folks with strategic planning, with communications, um, business plans, uh, you know, just... The, the, getting certified, those sorts of things. So, so we kind of do the full spectrum, um, but we, we do have a uh, concentrated accounting uh, staff that works not only with small businesses, but also for not-for-profits. So we do that for a fee-for-service for, for not-for-profit organizations. Now let me just ask you one thing. Is how do people find you? How do they find out about Phyllis? I mean, you know, uh, um, It's a tricky business. I probably need some communications um, <laughs> uh, consulting. Um, we have no problem with the clients finding us. We, we serve about 600 people a year. We do no outreach. Um, Are they all in this area, Phyllis? All in, in the greater New Orleans area. We have, we're recently moving into Baton Rouge. So there are a few there. We haven't really established ourselves um, as completely there as we would like. But, um, but yeah, it's just word of mouth primarily that, that draws them in. And, um, and so we're kind of under the radar in terms of the, the general community because if we do anything to get our name out there, then the phones ring off the hook and we don't have the capacity <laughs> to, to serve folks. So, so if Amy um, really got a hold of you, yeah, you'd well, actually I really be need problem. some advice on how to, how to <laughs> message to dual markets here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Amy, being able to communicate effectively is central to every social interaction from marriage to management. Um, in your <laughs> we won't get into the, the yeah, first part right now. But in, tw in your 20 years of teaching communication skills, what do you find business people are most deficient at? Or what's the most common and most damaging weakness? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, the the most damaging weakness, people are very hard on themselves. So what I find when I work with somebody one-on-one -on -one or in a larger group, they always want to say, oh, I'm not good at that, or I can't go through this, or I can't give this presentation to senior management. At one point, I worked with a lot of software engineers at HSBC Bank who are brilliant. I mean, they're the people who make it oh. so we can see our checkbooks online <laughs> and do all those transfers, and they all look pretty to us on the outside. But they were not communicating well with the people who made the decisions. So my job was to get them communicating better on a day-to-day -day basis. And they would tell me, oh, I can't do this. You know, I'm going to faint. These different things are going to happen. But then they would get up there. And the more I showed them the power of what they already knew, 
so knowing that they can overcome the weakness of being so hard on themselves. I think that's generally what is a common theme. And then also knowing that almost everybody you've met is scared of public speaking. So right. Mark Twain once said, public speakers are either nervous or liars. Ah, and I think that's yeah. true for 98% of us, me included. I mean, when I do something in front of a group, people will ask me, how did you do that? You had all these people and you didn't even look at your slides once. And I'll say, well, my leg was shaking the entire time. You just didn't see because I wore a pantsuit. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm writing these down. Wear pantsuit. They, yeah, uh, exactly. it's, uh, that's for women. <laughs> that's a women trick. Well, you know what they say? They say uh, they did a study. I think it was University of Michigan did a study in the um, number one greatest fear amongst Americans was public speaking. And uh, and number two, oddly enough, was death. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> So, the, uh, so that means next time you're at a funeral, think that more people would rather be in the casket than sing the eulogy, which is kind of, a, kind of an odd way to look at it. But yeah. yeah, so, and then, I mean, do you have tricks? I mean, do you, some people so, hide behind a podium, right? So yes, I try to, anybody I work with, I try to get them to not have a piece of paper in their hand and to not hide behind a podium. Okay. And that's hard. That's hard. I have to teach people gestures. I have to teach them how to stand. I have to teach them how to do eye contact with a larger group, especially if they're doing a keynote. Like you're doing that thing with your hands that That's Mr. Burns does on The Simpsons. <laughs> you know, there's that excellent. There's a, yeah. Well, so this is like a natural position to put your hands in or to your sides when you're in between. Of course, I'm sitting now, so it's yeah. different. I actually am born and raised in this area of the country, so of course I talk with my yeah. hands all oh, the yeah, time. Yeah. I think that's just part of my nature. <laughs> but um, for some people, that's not natural, you know, to use hand gestures and they feel like a deer in a headlights, you know, when they're standing in front of a group. So I try to do different breathing exercises and teach them ways to what I'd call harness the anxiety. I mean, use those butterflies to their advantage. You, you talk about those different, those different groups and, and you must prepare differently for them, right? Like one of the things I, I'm amazed at is when you meet a politician, um, and particularly a, you know, a really great community, like Bill Clinton's always an example of this, you know, people have always said, he looks you in the eye and you think you're the only person in the room. Right. Is, is that a learned skill? Yes, I believe it is. I mean, I've never worked with Bill Clinton, yeah. but I have worked with other politicians. And yes, they have to learn how to look at a group and make eye contact with enough people in the room that everybody feels like they're being looked at. So it takes practice and time and there's definitely techniques you can learn to do that. Now your so. people, Phyllis, they're, um, you must have to help them on uh, a communication skill in that some of these people are gonna be going to a bank for a loan and yeah. things like that. I mean, just presenting yourself must be pretty intimidating to these folks. It is, you know, particularly um, given sort of cultural differences and it's hard for them to um, often uh, approach that without being intimidated. And um, so we, we do work with them. We work them on, on pitch, con, you know, presenting pitches and elevator speeches and... And how long, uh, just for people that aren't just... An elevator pitch is how long? Uh, uh, you know, probably 60 seconds at most, you know, from... <laughs> depends on how high your, uh, your building that's is. That's right, but, that's uh, really you know, the truth. Going from the first floor to the third floor, you only got about 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the elevator, too, but... Um, but uh, yeah, so, um, so we do try to do a lot of, in the particularly the group sessions, um, a lot of having the, the clients actually speak and talk about their ideas and get a little bit more comfortable with that with that notion because it's really an extremely important piece of what they do is to be able to communicate quickly um you know sort of who they are what they do um and 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 why they do it better than others and and why you might need that yes and so. and uh, what is that? who's funding good good work you know um not enough people, but um, 
Call the number you screen. This is NPR. That's what we do. Yes. Go for it. Um, but you have um, tote bags. We're we really have, big on tote bags. So SBA funds us. We have several grants from the Small Business Administration, um, Department of Health and Human Services. We have a Community Economic Development Grant. Chase Foundation, Serdna Foundation, Kellogg Foundation, some local foundations. Um, you know, so, so we have a pretty broad base, but I would say m a, probably 60% of our funding comes from uh, federal government. And Phil, I want to pick up on something you said right in the very beginning of the show, where you said that you were very, I don't know if you used the word lucky or fortunate or privileged. Uh, what, um, tell me about that. Well, you know, I, I came from an upper middle class family, so my family could afford to send me to good schools, um, you know. I, uh, you know, my transportation needs, my clothing needs, all of that was always just totally taken care of. Um, and also you have connections, you know, so my parents were both business people and they had a lot of connections. So you don't come out of college with like, now what do I do, you know? That's true. Um, you, you have that, you know, I never had to worry if, if we had a medical crisis that I was going to go bankrupt, you know, you always had sort of a, a financial safety net with, with your parents and your family. And, you know, we, we take that for granted. Most folks don't have that. And most, a lot most, of people lot coming of, to you don't have that, A right? lot of folks come to us, you know, probably 62% of our clients are low income. So, you know, so they're really having a hard time just paying bills. And, um, you know, they're a little bit, a lot of times just in survival mode. And so getting them to manage their money better, to help get away from predatory lenders, to do all that. Those are, those are some of the skills we work with, with the lower resourced folks, is you know, really to help them get their personal finances more stable in order to be able to launch their business. Now Phyllis, you, um, was there an event that kind of happened that made you want to do this with your life? Or you just had very good parents <laughs> or? Uh... I did have very good parents. My mother was a hospital administrator for Sarah Mayo Hospital. My father was, uh, chairman of the council in Jefferson Parish. So there's always been sort of a community benefit theme in our family. Um, but yeah, you know, you just wake up one day and you think I'm uh, tired of using my skills to make rich people richer. I need to do something um, that feels more uh, worthwhile. And, uh, and I have to say, I love it. I loved every minute of Good Work Network. That's it has not been the semi-retirement plan that I hoped it would be. But <laughs> But it has been very rewarding. Didn't write that business plan very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I just wanted to ask you. We, uh, you mentioned you teach at, uh, teach at, at Tulane, and uh, um, you know, you're, in a way, this is the toughest audience. I mean, these corporate clients you have, or you know, they certainly want to make a change in their life. But the, the students, I mean, what do you do to get them thinking about this? Well, I'm really lucky because for the beginning of my teaching career at Tulane, I was in the business school, and I, I have a lot of respect for the business school, but I'm, I'm working with School of Continuing Studies students, so I'm working with some of the students who are probably clients of Phyllis's, actually. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking as she was talking, because I'm working with um, someone who is the ER clerk at a local hospital. I'm working with someone who is your waitress at Houston's. I'm working with someone who sold a business successfully did some things in life, but never finished college. Right. So I, I've got a real age group of anything from a 17, 18-year-old to somebody who's retired from the military, per se. So I treat my class like a bunch of clients, and they know that. So I do different things with them because of the variation. And I have to say, when I was with 
the full-time students, which I haven't taught a class over there since 2006, I think, um, it was different because I did have to do a lot of convincing them that this was important because they hadn't lived in the real world. But when people are really out there every day making you know, the bills happen and making things happen, when a student comes to me and says, my daughter's in the hospital and I can't make it to class, that's really happening. You know? So yeah, yeah. I don't feel like I have to do too much convincing of my current students, but I do know in the, in the day program, the full-time students, it's a little bit different because they don't have the world experience. Now, it's the time where we take a look at uh, the checklist. It's the part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a, a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. And uh, I'm going to start with uh, <laughs> start with Phyllis. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. Well, it's uh, I couldn't. <laughs> uh, there are only two of you. So they, they uh, what was your first job? My first job was um, actually switchboard and um, night clerk at Sarah Mayo Hospital where my mother was administrator. Were so. you like the Lily Tomlin character? Yeah, yeah, with the, uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So, and uh, yeah, so that was my first, you know, real job. I did filing in the family business, but that was the first um, real job. Yeah, you know, it's very tough to get that same job today. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like switchboards. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And Amy, I'm going to ask you a question. How much sleep do you get? Oh, gosh. Not enough, according to my husband, but yeah. um, enough for myself. I, you know, I'm probably one of those five, six-hour-a-night people. Oh, if, okay. I get, if I get too much sleep, I wake up. Like, if I go to sleep too kind early, I wake up too early. <laughs> and then okay. I'm up at three. So I like to go to sleep at midnight or later so they can get up at seven you know, so, or six. But you're not so, an eight, nine-hour person. You're no, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I know that I'm supposed done. to be in all those health professionals, and I've heard some of the great people from Oshner tell me that I'm supposed <laughs> to be <laughs> getting seven to nine hours, and I'm more of a six to... Seven. <laughs> <laughs> if my husband's listening, he's going to be like, on. Oh, you're going to have your own blog. But sleep is overrated. That's so great. That is, uh, now we're going to check the inbox, and our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener over the past week. Uh, Grant, what have you got this week? Peter, we have a question for each of our guests today. Amy, I'll start with you. Do it alphabetically. Okay. Uh, this is a question from uh, Harold Kerning, who asks... PowerPoint presentations used to be the holy grail of business communication. Do you still recommend them or has something better replaced PowerPoint? For me, it really depends on who the audience is and what you're doing. PowerPoint can be your friend. It can also be your worst enemy. Um, if I think back to um, one of my software engineers that I trained, he had this great PowerPoint presentation and he was all excited and it wasn't working properly and we were doing a rehearsal before he went to his meeting with senior management. And I said, look, just take out the tablet and you're going to draw it out and you're going to rehearse this. And hopefully by the time you get to this guy's office, it, your PowerPoint's going to work again. And he gave the presentation. It was a very technical description of how he was going to make something work behind the scenes. And he used the pad of paper and drew it all out step by step. And I looked at him and I said, I don't want you to go to that office with a PowerPoint. So, And that was back in 2008 that that happened. So I think you have to decide who's the audience and what's going to be the best way to reach that audience. If you're going to use PowerPoint just to stand around and look and read it, it's your worst enemy. And I do know that this person's probably asking about Prezi and some of the different softwares that are existing now. And I think some of those are great. But it, again, it, I always go back to who is your audience. Know your audience before you do anything. And, and that's one of the, the, the challenges, right? A lot of people just read what's on the... The slide, you know, the assumption is you're speaking to the blind, I guess. I don't right. know what the, uh, it's, uh, I've seen that done. Yes. Yeah. Too many times. <laughs> Phyllis, here's a question for you from Celeste Wilson, who says, there's a big gap between a crappy job 
and starting up your own business. Is there a place for people who want to work in a better small company but are not entrepreneurial? Yeah, we're trying to, we believe that a, a lot of our agenda as we grow these smaller minority and women-owned businesses is that they will create jobs. And one of their challenges will be human capital and where do they find good, good folks. And we think there's a huge um, resource out there of people just like that who don't really want to be entrepreneurs, but who um, would also like to work in a smaller environment that's less hierarchical and allows for more innovation and creativity and allows them to be, um, you know, to exercise their talents a little bit more. So we believe that, um, that as, we, as we connect these businesses to opportunities, they will create more and more jobs for folks like that, yes. So this is very interesting, Phyllis, because there is that kind of chasm between, uh, you know, just jumping off the cliff there. Yeah, and, uh, oh, huge. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see where. Having jumped off that cliff, yeah. <laughs> Phyllis Cassidy, Amy Adato Freeman, there's an old saying that goes something like, overnight success takes 10 years. You're both great examples of the backroom team uh, who don't always get a lot of recognition, but go to work every day quietly building um, hard-fought overnight successes for others. Uh, thanks for all your great work that you're doing here in the city, and, and thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Great. The, uh, my guests today on Out to Lunch have been Amy Adato Freeman. She's the founder of Amy Freeman Consulting, and Phyllis Cassidy, the founder and director of the Good Work Network. You can find out more about Amy's advice and how Phyllis facilitates by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is produced live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The often imitated, never matched Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep Keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Baton Rouge-based Presonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, JonesWalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business and commercial clients serving Louisiana clients for 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities iberiabank.com additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments